All right, let me pray, and then uh, we'll just uh, we'll jump into this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are um, our Father, and you are heavenly. Uh, that you are seated on your throne. You're not pacing around wondering what's going to happen to uh, the individuals listening to my voice right now. You're not pacing around wondering what's going to happen to uh, our church and our body during this time. You're not worried about what's going to happen to the lower town neighborhood and community. You're not worried about what's going to happen um, to the nation. Uh, God, you, you know all things. And as we're even studying that and looking at that today, to be able to look at you, our heavenly Father, as good, as gracious, as loving, even in a time that's difficult, and it is difficult, um, that I don't want to downplay um, the seriousness of the situation, the seriousness of just isolation, that human beings are not created to be alone. Um, and so, God, I pray you just help us in our time now. Help us now, quiet our hearts. Help us to just listen to the, the sermon and the passages that are going to be being read to be edifying, uplifting, glorifying to you. And uh, get rid of distractions. And there's kind of a lot. This is all new, uh, even for myself. I've got neighbors walking their dogs out the window. And, and God, I pray that you just be honored and glorified now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, great. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, jump in. So again, like I said, that, that top link, it should work. Um, I didn't really get a chance to test it, but there should be a link for the PowerPoint if you want to follow along. If not, that's fine. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and get started. So we are in uh, the journey of Job. Oh, and let me say this. There, there were other options for me to make this a little bit more professional um, in the sense that I could have gone downtown Minneapolis. I could have pre-recorded it. I could have uploaded it and then we could have done this together. I don't know. To me, there's something about just saying we're in this together, <laughs> you know, like, Hey, welcome to my home. Uh, you know, get your coffee, right. All those different things, get your snacks. I don't care. It just, I, I'm glad that we can actually do this together. Um, that it, it doesn't need to be a big production. And I think that's what makes hope lower town a part of hope lower town. Hopefully that's not all of hope lower town. All right, so we are in the journey of Job. Uh, this would have been the sermon that I was going to preach last week, uh, but obviously I didn't, and so we're kind of one week off, and, and we'll, we'll catch up uh, in the summer uh, when we, we're going to switch over to the Psalms. We'll probably just extend this one more week. It's not a big deal. Um, you know, the crazy thing is we're going to have to do Easter like this, um, which is going to be wild, but we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, so today's sermon specifically is... Wrong views of suffering, and this is coming from Job chapter 4 all the way through chapter 37, which is a lot of text, and don't, we're not going to read all that. If you want to read it on your own time, please do. It's, it's very good. It's just good poetry to begin with, um, but just looking at the different friends that are there and these conversations that happen with Job as they're trying to convince them, him, of their right views, um, and, and so... That's what we're going to be going looking at today, wrong views of suffering that are going to be presented by Job's friends. And the question is going to be presented, why do bad things happen to good people? That's, that's really what Job's friends and Job is after in this section. Like, Why does suffering happen to people who don't seem to deserve suffering or they didn't do anything wrong or fill in the blank? And that question is going to come up, but the answer is not going to come this week. All right? The answer is going to come in two weeks and potentially uh, three or four. So we're, we will address that actual question. 
But for right now, I want to look at these wrong views of suffering. As always, um, I'm going to be using uh, artwork that's been purchased and permissioned by artist Chris Coley uh, and his work on the poem that John Piper wrote on Job. And so if you are looking at those slides, um, all the artwork in there is from uh, this his work, uh, animated uh, feature of uh, Job. All right, what is this book all about? Uh, and I mention this every week, but I'm going to keep saying this, that does Job worship God out of genuine love or because of God's blessing? All right, Job is really wealthy. He's got a big family, 10 kids. And uh, Satan goes to God and says, he only loves you because you've, you've protected him, because you've blessed him. And, he, and so Satan completely wipes out all of his wealth, destroys his, his family, uh, kills his 10 kids. His wife is spared. And then he has um, some um, majorly intense physical ailments that, that, are, that are afflicting him. Um, and, I, and it's not like necessarily a name. It just sounds like anything bad you could get under the sun, Job got it. Incredible, incredible discomfort. And then his wife then comes to him and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? I actually think that she's saying, Job, I love you so much, and I hate seeing you suffer in this way. I would rather you curse God and just die and end this suffering. And how hard that would have been for Job to hear. But then in Job 2, verse 10, it says, in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. And that's where he's at. And as we go through these chapters of 4 through 37, Job is going to at least suggest that he's maintaining his integrity toward God. And so that's, uh, that's, where we're, that's what's going to be happening, all right? So he's maintained his integrity. His friends show up uh, at the end of chapter 2. And let me just read what this says. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namanite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And they began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And that was just a, 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 an Eastern way of saying, I'm, I'm acting alongside of you as if I'm dead. I'm, I'm heaping death and ash on me. And they did this for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And then John Hartley in his commentary on Job says this, the seven-day period functions as a turning point in the dramatic action of the account. The atmosphere was tense. Nobody spoke. Job, uh, Job's pain was visibly unbearable. Then like a thunderclap, Job's lament breaks the silence, and then Job just cries out, it would be better had I just died. It would have been better had I just never been born. Um, and that's his place. That's where he's at. And so he's screaming out in pain and suffering, physical, emotional, spiritual. I mean, he's going through it. And then Job's friends then start to respond, and they, they kind of go through this whole thing, and there's these kind of three breaks of counseling sessions, if you will, where Eliphaz talks and Job responds, Bildad talks, Job responds, Zophar talks, and then Job responds. That happens three different times up until chapter 37, or excuse me, up until chapter 32, and then there's another friend, Elihu, he's the youngest one, he just sits back and he's just listening to the whole thing, and then finally he's like, all right, I know I'm young, I've had enough, I gotta talk. Um, and so that's kind of what happens. So that's where we're at. That's the background. And so let's look at now um, these wrong views of suffering. There's kind of the, the chapter break in, the, in uh, John Piper's poem on this. 
says, oh, spare me now, my friends, your packages of God. And I think that that is such a good way to look at Job and his interactions with his friends, that they have taken God and they've tried to put him in a neat little fancy box and say, this is why you're suffering, Job. And so that paraphrase from Piper's poem, oh, spare me now, my friends, your packages of God. The first wrong view of suffering is that suffering always has an easy answer. Right? And, there's, and there's four of these that we're going to look at, kind of from, from the passage of, of friends going, whoa, whoa, what about this? What about this? That suffering always has an easy answer. And when you try to answer the question of why, like why is suffering happening to me in my context and my circumstance? Why, why, why? Uh, that is an extremely difficult uh, question to answer. It's, it's a, it seems like a simple, you know, uh, five little, five little, little word or a three letter word of why, but why is this happening to me? I got, got confused there. Uh, difficult. Um, it's incredibly difficult to try to answer those questions, theologically speaking, emotionally speaking, all these different things. And when, and when somebody's suffering in our midst, then we just try to give a quick little whoop, here you go. This is, this is why this is what's happening. It, it does, I think a lot more harm than good. Um, and I need to add the caveat that when it's not a consequence of my sin, right? If I, if I get in an accident because I was uh, out driving drunk uh, and, and, and I hurt somebody and, I, and therefore I lose my, I lose my job, I, I get arrested for all those different things, and I'm sitting in jail going, oh, God, why would, why would you allow this to happen to me? Uh, that's a consequence of my own stupid actions, right? That's not God punishing me. Uh, that is simply a consequence of my actions. So we got to be careful to, that when we're in the midst of suffering to say, okay, is this a consequence of my action? Or is this just sim- something that I simply can't, can't comprehend? And that's not what's going on here with Job. Job is not suffering as a consequence of his actions, although his friends might bring that up, right? So wrong views on suffering. Number one, just like, hey, all people are sinners. All people are sinners. Eliphaz says this in Job 4, 17. Can mortal man be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? I mean, hey, man, you're just, you're just a sinner, right? I mean, stuff happens, you know, and, and uh, bad things happen. And, and you know what, God, but God's good. You're a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. Therefore, everyone suffers. And this is just your time to suffer, right? This is just how it works. That's that's like that that coffee mug thing, right? I was actually I asked Angela this morning, I was like, do we have any? Do we have any of those coffee mugs that just have these like weird Christianese sayings on it? Uh, no, we don't. Which I'm I'm glad, I guess. But that's that's an easy way to try to respond to somebody. All all people are sinners. Eliphaz has another one uh, that some suffering is for God to refine us. Right, hey man, God's just trying to make you a better person. You're just going through this season right now. And this is Job 5, 17. Eliphaz again says, blessed is the man whom God corrects. Well, you are being blessed by God in this suffering. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Now, there's a whole theology behind this. Could God actually be disciplining? Potentially. But to just give a quick answer when somebody's suffering, just say, hey man, hey man. Some suffering is for God to refine us. And this, this, this probably is what it seems like, right? We've got to be careful to just rush into that and to give an easy answer for an incredibly difficult question and conversation. So again, suffering always has an easy answer. One, all people are sinners. That's a bad, easy answer. Some suffering is for God to refine us. Again, not a good, easy answer. The third one is um, 
uh, Eliphaz actually rebukes Job for being impatient, all right, which, which is not the right rebuke for somebody who's suffering, right? It's really insensitive to go to someone and just say, hey, man, I know that that engagement broke off last month, but it's been a month. Like, let's, 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 let's move on here, right? Let's, that's what Eliphaz says in Job 4, 5, and 6. But now trouble comes on you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Should not your piety and your confidence and your blameless ways be your hope? Right? I mean, hey, you didn't do anything wrong here, right? Let's just, just move on. Just get over this. That's a really bad way to tell people to move on from suffering. And then finally, the last one of suffering has an easy answer is simply to state, just commit your ways to God and your fortunes will be made right. Just commit your way to God, right? And, and your fortunes are going to be restored to you. That's really bad. And, and, and unfortunately, Eliphaz here does what not only I've done, but I've probably done recently, where I am so quick to, to try to fix people's problems or their suffering, and I do it by quoting scripture. And so that's actually what he's going to do. So Job, is, his, his friend's going to quote uh, from Deuteronomy here, and he says uh, in Job 5, 8, and then 18 through 19, but if I were, but if, but if it were I, right? Like, hey, man, if you, like, I know you're suffering. If, if it was me going through that same thing, let me, let me give you some advice. If, if I were going through suffering like this, I would appeal to God. I would lay my case before him. Here's why. And here's the quote. For he wounds, but he also binds up. His hands, he injures, but his hands also heal. From six calamities, he will rescue you. In seven, no harm will befall you. He kind of gives this proverb, this way of, of, of saying, hey, man, I know suffering's happening, but God does good and bad, right? And, and Job even says that. But just to be able to state that right off the bat is really insensitive. And so he is actually quoting a passage from Deuteronomy 32. It says, see now that I, myself, am he. This is God, Yahweh, talking. There is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I wound and I heal, and no one can deliver out of my hand, right? That, that's, that's what Job is going through here, and, and, and so he's just trying to fix it. He's just trying to throw some verses at him that hopefully it'll stick, hopefully it'll make you feel better. We got to be really careful. Verses are very encouraging. Don't get me wrong, right? That when, when somebody's going through suffering, I think there are better verses to quote to somebody than God heals and he makes alive, he wounds and he kill, kills, right? That, let's just hold off on some of those, right? All right, let's move on to uh, the second wrong view in suffering. So again, the first one, just being suffering, always has an easy answer. Got to be careful here. The second one is the retribution principle. Retribution principle. Let me, uh, let me read uh, a little bit of the poem from, uh, from John Piper, and I think it will help clarify by what I mean by this retribution principle. And then Zophar spoke out, Remember, Job, that the Lord is high above the earth and he can spy iniquity in any place. There is no hiding sin. The face of the Almighty is not veiled by man, nor had he ever failed to see the judge. Job, let your sin be put away and hide not in your tents the bounty of deceit and then your days will all be sweet. Right? Just, just confess your sin to God and this will be made right, right? Just 
just give God whatever it is that you're hiding, right? Just confess you're, you're hiding something or you wouldn't be suffering like this. So what is it that you're hiding? And this is incredibly horrific, painful advice to try to give some in the midst of suffering. I know there's people, I don't know if they're on here or not, but members of Lower Town who have been given that advice. My father on his deathbed was given that advice by our pastor. And, uh, and he, gave, he gave that advice. Hey, Rod, that's my dad's name. You know, Rod, is there anything that you need to confess? Like, is there anything in there, you know, that you really need to confess, right? And, and my dad, like Job, clings to his innocence. And he's like, no, no, that's not. And that's really bad theology. That's a really, really bad understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's horrible. It's horrific. Because uh, that's not good news. That's bad news. It's as if God is just sitting up in heaven, sitting on a cloud, and he's just waiting for me to sin, uh, maybe even excited for me to sin. And then when I finally do, wham, I can just punish you with this thing. That's bad because that's not the gospel. What the gospel, the good news is, is that we sinned and then Jesus took on himself the punishment of God on our behalf because we can't do it. And so when we sin, it is not because God is just mad and he's getting at us with some kind of crazy thunderbolt that's bad theology. I'm not punished because I have unconfessed sin. Jesus was punished because I've confessed my sin. That was a Brian Silver original. That just, that just came out. That just rolled off the tongue. And then Job is going to, again, maintain his innocence here. And he's going to say, friends, I understand what you're saying. You're not listening. You're not listening to what I'm saying. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not hiding anything. I, I don't have anything... I don't have anything there. And so this is what Zophar, the direct quote from Zophar in Job 8, 3 through 4 says. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Whoa! Hey, man, I know we're buds. Your, your kids sinned. And, and, and then God killed all 10 of them. Maybe you should uh, confess some stuff here, right? Some crazy things are going on. They sinned, they died. Is the correlation? Retribution principle, right? But he doesn't stop there. He, he like, what's, uh, we've been watching a little bit more uh, uh, Disney Plus. Not necessarily Henry, my three-year-old, but just uh, my wife and me. Um, sorry, hang on. Um, and, uh, I, we just watched Toy Story 4 for the first time. And, and, uh, then we watched, uh, not, we didn't recently, but I love the, the T-Rex. He's got, um, uh, I forget it, Rex, is that his name? Uh, but he, he just, uh, the, the one scene I forget, I think it's Woody when he's pushing RC out of the back of the truck to go save, uh, Buzz, or I, I think it's been a long time since I've seen the movie, but but I remember he pushes he pushes RC out of the back of the truck, and and the and the T Rex goes, he's at it again, <laughs> and uh, that's that's what's happening. Zofar, Zofar is is at it again. So so Joe, so Zofar is going to talk, have that response like, hey man, God killed your kids, and this thing happened, um, and then Job's going to respond and be like, no 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 man, it's not like that, and then Zofar is actually going to chime in again in Job eleven. And he's staying with it. He's sticking with his guns here. He says, yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then 
Then you will lift up your face without shame and you will stand firm and without fear. And Job's like, no, he got, okay, do I gotta say this again in poetry form over the course of a couple chapters? I'm innocent, I haven't done anything, right? And that's, that's what's going on. The third uh, wrong view of suffering is the corollary to the retribution principle. Just, just the opposite view of this retribution principle. This is in Job chapter eight, six and seven. This is Bildad. I'm just saying, if, if, if you're pure and upright, if, if you're pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. Right? I mean, if, just, if, if you really are pure, right? It's not, not that I've sinned and it's causes calamity. Be pure and now you'll be restored. Right? Your beginnings will seem humble. All of your wealth and your 10 kids and all of that will seem humble, so prosperous will your future be. Again, that's, that's a really bad way of looking at suffering. I need to confess sin. I just need to be pure of heart. Because I'm telling you, Jesus was a pretty pure of heart kind of guy. And he suffered, and he bled, and he died on behalf of me and my sin. So in application, not gospel application, I've got a couple points of, of application here first. Like what are some takeaways then with this? One of them is be careful with your therefores, all right? Someone's suffering, oh, I know why you're suffering because therefore, holy smokes, we gotta be careful with our therefores. We gotta be careful with Proverbs and I'm actually gonna quote a proverb and then use a proverb as a bad example, all right? Um, the other day I came downstairs and uh, uh, we have some verses. My wife keeps this kind of flip, flip card note thing of verses over the kitchen sink. And, and this verse was on there. And it was actually very comforting. Uh, Henry, we just found out Henry broke his leg. And, and um, we're stuck at home and all these different things. And, 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 this is, and, the, and the verse that's up on there is Proverbs 3.24. It says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And I read that and I was like, that's great. But for me right now, that's just not true. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. I, I've, I've got some anxiety going on in my heart. And so I, I, I uh, um, <clears throat> was reminded of Proverbs 26, 9, that actually says, like a thorn bush in the drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. And I, I, love, I love that imagery of someone just stumbling around with a, with a thorn bush is like a proverb in the mouth of a fool. And so we gotta be careful with the therefores and the easy answers and the, and the coffee mug sayings because that proverb 324 is comforting in context. Context is so important when we talk about verses. And it's not just, hey, when you lie down, it's gonna be sweet. You're gonna have sweet dreams. You're gonna get some good rest. And the context is when you pursue wisdom and understanding and sound judgment and discretion, right? And in this time of chaos and confusion, we gotta go to the right sources, we've gotta be wise with our decisions. And when we do those things and we pursue God, then it says safety will come your way, you will not stumble and then you will go to sleep because you're, you're being careful, you're being wise. That, that's what that verse is. And if we just throw things at people like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. So let's be careful with our therefores when, when people are suffering. The second one is suffering and prosperity are not linked. Okay, we've, we've got to hear that. All right, and I think that's where Job's friends get confused. That's where Job gets confused. 
Job even says this in wise counsel to his friends because they're, they're constantly saying, hey, man, you just just confess your sin. And don't you see the, the prosperity and all these different things of people who are, are close with God and, and, and your kids sinned and, and they died. And so let's not do that. And Job comes out with this then in Job 21. He says, have you ever questioned those who travel? Have you paid no regard to their accounts? That the evil man is spared from the day of calamity, that he is delivered from the day of wrath. Right? There's nothing about my faith that's going to save me from getting a virus. That just doesn't... Now, that's not to say that God can't protect me or he won't protect me. I just got to be wise and I got to use discernment and discretion. And just because the most wicked human being on the planet, they might not get sick, right? And then you've got people who are upright and good and they trust God and they're putting their faith in God and then they get sick. That's what Job, there's not a, we can't, this is not a one for one here. Trust God and you'll be good. Don't trust God and you're going to get sick. It's not, that's, that's bad. Suffering and prosperity are not necessarily linked. And Job, so I want to kind of move into, okay, well, what, are we, what are we doing with this then, right? Job fears his day in court with God. So even though he's maintaining his innocence, his integrity, he's just saying, I, I want to have this face-to-face conversation with my maker, and yet I fear him. Okay, so this is what he says in Job chapter 9, 32 through 35. He says this about God. He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Other translations say, if only there was someone who could put their hand on his shoulder and their hand on my shoulder and bring us together to bridge that gap. Someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Well, the beautiful thing is that now there is a mediator. There is an arbiter. There is now somebody who can stand between me and my creator God, a holy, unapproachable, ineffable light kind of a God who does no wrong and while I'm suffering, questioning God, why is this thing happening to me? I now actually have somebody that can mediate on my behalf. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 through 6 says this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Then the apostle Paul says this, this has now been witnessed at the proper time. You see, because in Job's eyes and in his, his life, he just said, "If oh man, I, I long for this. If only there was somebody who could mediate between me and God. And now, now is the time where there is somebody who can mediate between God and me. And that is the God-man, Jesus Christ himself. And how awesome that is at this proper time. One thing that was also interesting as I was studying and I was looking up that Deuteronomy passage that um, Bill Dad kind of quotes, Deuteronomy chapter 32, 19 through 22, same chapter. It says this. The Lord sends this. Oh, sorry. The Lord saw this and rejected them uh, because he was angered by his sons and daughters, right? So his, his sons and daughters. Again, Old Testament, before Jesus is there to mediate between God and his people, 
that when he gave them clear commands, I'm going to make this covenant with you, but if you disobey my covenant, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be calamities. And that's exactly what's happening. There's consequences of them not obeying God. It says this in verse 20, I will hide my face from them, he said. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvest and set of fire the foundations of the mountains. That Yahweh, God, is really mad with Israel. And he's saying, okay, you, you want to go there? I'm going to let you go there. And you know what's going to happen? The people who don't even know me, they're going to prosper, right? The people who are not a people, these nations that have no understanding by worshiping their no gods. And then again, because this is now this time, we're on this other side of the cross, and Jesus has come. He's paid for our sins. And that now in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10, probably my two favorite verses in the Bible. You, if you go to Lower Town, you're probably sick of these verses. But he's, he's going back to this passage in Deuteronomy. But you Gentiles, non-Jewish Israel, you, all of you now because of Christ, you are now a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy because of Jesus. And so we can suffer and it can be horrible and horrific and I always, at the end of the day, no matter what's going on, I get to look up and I get to go, but Jesus. I always get to say that. I look up like I'm looking at the big stained glass window with the cross on it. and I'm not. I'm looking at my clock. Let me read one final thing from uh, John Piper's poem, and then we'll, we'll close. Uh, and then we're, we're actually going to sing a song. Um, so it says, says this in the, in the poem. O risen Christ. Shine forth and be a blazing warning by the sea. A signal where the sailors cling to life through reefs of suffering. And need the blast of light and bell? Beware what here beneath may dwell. Beware of subtle, shrewd assaults. A half-truth can be wholly false. Beware of wisdom made in schools and proverbs in the mouth of fools. Beware of claims that rise too tall. The upright stand and the wicked fall. Right, that's, we gotta be careful of that. Of just this quick thing, a fast, quick answer of suffering, of the, the, what he just says right there, the upright stand and the wicked fall, that's not true. Unless I'm in Christ. Because regardless of what happens to me, if I'm in Christ, he provides life everlasting. So a gospel application do you worship God because you love God or because of his blessings? Do I worship God, me, because I love God or because of his blessings in my life? And then finally, have you been a victim of one of these wrong views and suffering? 
right? Give that to God, repent of that, confess that. Say, God, I want to I give this thing to you. This thing's happened to me. And at the same time, maybe you've used these wrong views of suffering recently on somebody. Maybe you need to go to them and say, hey, I shouldn't have said that. And maybe it was right theologically, but maybe it just wasn't the right time for some of these things. So we've got to be, got to be careful.